This is a, a picture of the sun-scorched Judean wilderness or desert, or part of it. And uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 63, uh, which rather helpfully says that it's a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Uh, so it may even be his footprints uh, you can see there, probably not. Okay, if you could go that in your Bibles, let's turn to that and read it together. O oh God, you are my God. I seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the finest foods, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed, I will meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my soul will go down into the depth of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword they will be the prey for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will praise him. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. Another thing that we learnt on our trip uh, to Darlington from John Hosier was uh, some of his heart for preaching. And uh, you're therefore going to be victims of uh, my approach to this. Uh, he said we need to think about content, context, structure, illustrations and application. Well, I'll try and do some of those today. We'll see how we go. And Steve, I thought you were going to be outside, but you took notes, didn't you, as well? So, as we've seen at the heading, this is a psalm of David, and we know it's King David... Uh, because it says at the end, uh, the king will rejoice. So he's talking about himself. Uh, that means it was probably the time when he was fleeing from Absalom. Uh, it was therefore written about 3,000 years ago, almost exactly 1,000 years before the death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus, who is the great son of David, uh, the eternal king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one that was anticipated uh, in David. So my uh, structure is going to be based on this use of the word soul. Uh, it appears uh, four times in the psalm, and uh, that's as good a reason as any to use it for the structure, but it does help. So we're going to look at uh, David's soul <coughs> obsession. Uh, this is a soul with a capital S, by the way. Um, David's soul satisfaction. Uh, David's soul assurance and David's soul purpose. Uh, but there's two ways of spelling soul, so I'll use these ones instead. 
So the first of those, David's sole obsession, David's only obsession. God, you are my God. Uh, strange in English, isn't it? God, you are my God. But actually, in, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's two different words. It's Elohim and El. So it's Elohim, you are my God. Elohim is the, the name of the mighty creator, uh, judge, uh, the great God who's there in the beginning, creating the heaven. And in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And David's response is a bit like that song, Looking in the sky, whoever could deny your glory? Gazing into space, how small the human race appears. Seeing you in all your majesty, I wonder how it could be that you delight in me. Wow. We just sat under the stars last night. And just not great in the middle of the summer. But that sense of the greatness of creation and to know that that God is my God. Well, that's where David was. God, you are my God. He's obsessed with this creator God who is his God. And because he's obsessed, he will seek him earnestly. I will seek you earnestly. Now, during... Uh, the week, a young man might struggle to get up, uh, get out of bed, get ready to go to work. Uh, but at the weekend, uh, he, he awakens the dawn as he heads off to find the one he loves. Um, it, it's, it's an interesting thing, but when there's something that you really love, that you're really obsessed with, you will get up early. And actually the word earnestly here is... Uh, early will I seek you. Uh, I will get up and I will, I will run and, and find the thing I love, the thing I'm obsessed with. Uh, so there is that in David. He gets up earnestly. Uh, he's not lazy. He's not lying in. He's not waiting for the alarm. He, he wakes up and he gets up early to pursue God. And finding God is his priority in the morning. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David's whole being longs for God, not just his spirit, but his body. He's, he's actually aching to be with God. He's, he's, he's got something in his stomach, something in his, his bones. He just has to be with God. And, and, and at this point, when he writes his son, there's probably a lot else on his mind. I mean, he's running for his life from this uh, son of his who wants to have him in so that he can be the king instead, Absalom. There's a lot else he could be worrying about and thinking about when he gets up. But actually, it's God that is his priority. He's far from the comforts of home. He's not in his palace, is he? He's in this desert Scorching sun, uh, no water. He's hungry, he's thirsty, and yet he thinks less of that and more of his hunger and God. And he just sees that as a picture of how he really feels and how things really are. He has every right to complain about lots of things, yet his biggest discomfort is that he doesn't feel close to God or close enough. 
God is his sole obsession. He's one thing. And, whoa, <laughs> not very smooth with that. Let's put this down. It's too much of a distraction. God is David's sole satisfaction too. Thus, I have seen you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. David hasn't always been in the desert. There has been another time when he's had an intense experience of God in the sanctuary, in God's house. Uh, Probably a vision is the word, a vision of God's power and glory. And it's something that has affected him. It it wasn't the band. it, It wasn't the lighting. It wasn't the quality of the production. But it was an intense experience of God. And that experience has ruined him. Uh, He can never be the same again. And yet he comes back to this experience. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will satisfy him. Only God and an experience of God like he's known before in the sanctuary. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. How can David think of worshipping God at this time? Well, it's because God's love is better than life itself. His life is in the balance. It's uncertain. But he knows that God's love is better than life. And that's why he can worship. Um, The word for love is... uh, I'm going to get into that trendy bit where we do the Greek, the Hebrew. Chesed. Did I say that right? Um, uh, it's difficult to translate as, as well as to pronounce. Uh, uh, Bible translators uh, struggle with it. William Tyndale came up with this new term, loving kindness. Uh, that's part of it, certainly. It's steadfast as well. Steadfast loving kindness. Your steadfast love, your steadfast loving kindness is better than life. It's bigger than anything that the world can throw at him. And it's bigger even than death. And nothing else will satisfy him. It's not a time to be half-hearted. David is determined. Now and forever, whatever happens, I will really bless you. That's the sense. I will really bless you, whatever happens. Bless, to uh, to acknowledge, to bow down, to kneel, to praise, to give thanks, to glorify, to exult in. I will really bless you. (laughs) Would we do the same in the same situation? It's difficult to imagine, isn't it? Um, I suppose if we have sunblock, that might help. He lifts up empty hands in prayer and in praise. He has nothing to give God, but he wants to glorify God. And he has so much dependency on God, and he wants to receive God's love. And he has empty hands, and he lifts them up. He's wholly dependent on God, because God is his sole satisfaction. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. And based on his past experience of God... He is certain that things will get better. (laughs) My soul will be satisfied as with the finest foods and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. 
Now, just notice how important already worship is in the life of David. He's a psalmist, um, but he starts, um, he's in a tight spot, and he starts thinking about what God's done, and he can't help when he does that, but praise God for what he's done in the past. He's in a tight spot, but he doesn't neglect worship. No, he uses worship as part of the thing to bring him closer to God. And then he knows there'll be a time when he'll have even more reason to give thanks and to worship. Because as God meets with him, as God satisfies him with his everlasting steadfast love, he will have cause to praise again. David's sole satisfaction is God, and worship is the natural expression of that. How's your worship? Are you satisfied with God, or do you get satisfaction somewhere else? Maybe if your worship's a bit tame, it's because you're not as satisfied with God as you should be, and maybe you're seeking satisfaction somewhere else. And if you're in a tight spot, do you worship, or do you think, no, I'm feeling sorry for myself? David teaches us to worship, even in a tight spot. And he can see, you can see how in the psalm he's dragging himself through this, through worship, to, to remember what God has done before and to trust in God for the future. David's sole assurance, his only assurance, when I remember you upon my bed, I meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Uh, Think of those little eaglets. Is that the right word? In the nest, protected protected by their mum. It's not just a a, a sort of like a chicken. This is it's got talons and a beak, a sharp beak. And those little eaglets can sort of look out over the edge and go, (laughs) because no one's going to come near to them while mum is there. And David says, I'm going to give a really ringing cry of joy. That's the sense. He's not going to be muted. He's going to boast in his safety and the shelter that he has. I'm going to give a really ringing cry of joy. Quiet, David. Some of us are trying to sleep. If you have difficulty in sleeping, turn your attention on God. Uh, It's not disrespectful (laughs) to fall asleep in God's presence. I I used to worry about that. It's not really right, is it, if I start reading theology at night and then fall asleep during that. Uh, That that, that wouldn't be right. That doesn't honour God. No, it's a privilege to fall asleep in the arms of God. And there's, there's also a sense with, with David here. Is he, is he tossing and turning in the night, unable to sleep because of his troubles, perhaps? Or maybe it's just that he is so excited about God that he can't sleep. You ever known that? Yes, pray for restless nights because you're so excited about God. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. It's interesting two things happening there. David clinging to God, but knowing that God's right hand upholds him. I cling and his mighty arm, that's that right arm, 
holds. John says, we love because he loved us first. I found Jesus, <laughs> but he found me. And in uh, his letter to the Philippians, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. There's that two-way thing. David clings to God, but he has the confidence that God has him. That's why he can say, isn't it, I will sing to you as long as I live. Not because I'm anything, but because your right hand upholds me. Don't worry about your troubles or your enemies. God will take care of you. And he'll take care of them. Those who seek to destroy my soul will go down into the depth of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be prey. There will be food for jackals. David is destined for glory, but his enemies are heading for a grisly and ignominious end. That's the reality. That's the confidence he has. That's his assurance. He's confident in God. He knows God is in control. He knows God will bring about his purposes. He knows that God is utterly powerful, glorious, and loving. David doesn't trust in anything else. So God is David's sole obsession, his sole satisfaction, and his sole assurance. And lastly, David's sole purpose. This is a bit of a stretch, but it's there. The king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will praise him. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. David knows the outcome. He knows he's the king. He knows he's God's anointed king. He can see the part he must play, though. He's confident that he will rejoice in God. And there's a sense that he can see that by doing that, he will prove to others that there is reason to praise God. God's steadfast, loving kindness, his power and glory won't hang him out to dry. Other people are denying this. Other people think they can get one up on David. But David will prove them wrong. And although David was born two and a half thousand years before the Westminster Shorter Catechism, he knows that his chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And although David was 3,000 years before John Piper, he knows that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of judgment. There is a sense where David's praise of God is an important part of his declaration to the world of who is in in control. And it will be one of the things that is used to stop the mouths of liars. They will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's part of what John was bringing to us. It's that sense that we have to take more than just a little bit of worship out of here. We have to take our lives out here 
We have to prove God's faithfulness in the world, declare his praises in the world, and the world will look on, and, and, and the liars, <laughs> the people who say there is no God, their mouths will be stopped. And many will come. He's put a new song in our mouths. Yeah? Many will hear it and put their trust in the Lord. That's David's soul obsession, soul satisfaction, soul assurance, and soul purpose. Right. Uh, beautiful structure, don't you think? Well done. Good exegesis. Yes, okay. Big tick. No, okay. Uh, the difficult thing then is how do we apply this properly to ourselves? And the thing that God uh, really lays on me is right at the beginning uh, this concept of thirst. What is your obsession? Where do you find satisfaction? Are you safe and secure in God? And do you have a sense of purpose? Have you ever had an intense experience of God? One that's ruined you and changed you forever? When troubles come, do you shelter in God's wings? Or do you just go and run and, ride and, <laughs> run and hide under a, a rock or something? Are you an instinctive worshipper of God? Is that something happens and you just have to worship God? What do you lie awake at night thinking about? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Now David wrote another psalm that we've already looked at in the first series. Psalm 23, and he said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But the big question is, is the Lord your shepherd? David could write Psalm 63 and Psalm 23 because God was his shepherd. Is the Lord your shepherd? Do you love righteousness? like David did. How do you cope with the valley of the shadow of death? Are you confident of that eternal life? Psalm 1, uh, not told it's written by David, but it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked, 
are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Where do you see yourself in that psalm? Are you a tree? Or are you chaff? Will you prosper? Or will you perish? Do you meditate on what God has said day and night? What do you thirst for? It's all very well, isn't it, to take psalms and apply the best bits that we like to ourselves, but we have to face the whole psalm. Um, We can't just say, oh, this is all about me, isn't it lovely? Uh, Do you really thirst for God? Thirst is a powerful thing. Uh, We can survive weeks, some of us months, without food. But we can only survive a few, perhaps three days, without water. Uh, I've heard somebody told me this week that uh, if soldiers are injured in combat and they have terrible wounds, painful wounds, if they are thirsty... They no longer feel the pain of their wounds because the thirst is the dominating thing. It actually is it's such a controlling thing. David's thirst for God displaces every other feeling and desire that he has. Does your thirst drive you to God? Or does it numb your interest in him. When God made the universe, he pronounced it very good at every stage. Remember in Genesis, God did this, and it was good. And it was good. And it was good. And when God had finished all his acting of creation, he looked and he said, it's very good. Now there's something in us that appreciates things that are very good. Uh, We delight in things. Uh, We can obsess about things. Uh, We're interested in big things. Like, I travelled on the A380 recently. That's a big plane. Glorious plane. Wow. Make the wings down in Broughton, in D-side. Ooh. We are impressed with big things. We're impressed with little things. We have electron scanning microscopes. We have microchips and we can even move atoms around on a piece of substrate. Ooh. We're, we're, we're very impressed with good things, excellent things. Now, I read earlier from Romans chapter 1 where Paul says uh, that the whole of creation is this amazing display of God's greatness. It shows his wisdom and his divine character, his power. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. God made us with the ability to appreciate beauty and good things. We're designed to find him through the things out there. They're designed and we're designed to say, look at that, that must be God. When we reject God, we don't lose our appreciation of good things. Uh, But we become thirsty for the things rather than the good God behind the things. Um, We want the best of everything, actually. Uh, We want the best food and drink, um, the Big Mac. No, perhaps not. Um, The the Grosvenor Gourmet experience. Have you ever done that? That is incredible. If, if, you know, 50 things you should do in your life, do that one. Uh, The Grosvenor Gourmet experience. Seven courses of these tiny, tiny things, but they taste absolutely wonderful. Um, we, we spend a lot of money on water. You can get it out of a tap, but you can go and buy premium bottles of water. You know, a nice Welsh nunt something or other. Tea nunt, is it? Or the, the blue and the purple bottles. Oh, wonderful water from Wales. <laughs> Fine wines and, uh, and the other water of life, whiskey or single malt whiskey. Uh, we can get our clothing from George. Our underwear from Marks and Spencers, because nobody else makes underwear to match, do they? Um, we like our designer labels. Uh, we like our Ray-Bans. We like our Dior, this, that, and the other. We like our Prada. Um, um, app, no, coming to Apple. That's clothing. We don't wear Apple. Houses. Uh, we love DIY, B&Q, and all this sort of stuff, and home base, and Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen, and... A uh, good Welsh name. And uh, we like watching Under the Hammer and all those sort of programs and extreme makeovers and all that for houses. Um, we love our music and the arts, uh, like Mozart and Radiohead and, uh, <laughs> and Glastonbury, Beyonce. Hmm. Um, we have the National Eisteddod coming to Wales, coming to Wrexham. Good grief. Um, and, wh- and what was that lace? That, 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 was it about 50 kinds of lace on that wedding dress? I, I, I can't remember. It was, it was a lot anyway, wasn't it? Uh, we, we love arts and crafts. We love health, the latest diets, uh, gym membership. You know, get the best gym membership. Uh, we go for running marathons. With a Welsh accent again, I don't know why. Um, spa therapies for our beauty. L'Oreal, because we're worth it. And uh, cosmetic surgery. Can you see it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we like our exotic holidays, cruises, five-star hotels, world tours, and, and even trips into space, even a trip around the moon, apparently, the best money can buy. Uh, we like our technology. We like Sky Plus HD 3D. Uh, we like our Apple laptops. We like our iPods, 
our iPhones, our iPads, they're, they're all just wonderful things, aren't they? They're good, good things. We like shopping, Eagles Meadow. All right, the Trafford Centre, uh, eBay. Uh, we like our cars, the Calibra Turbo was mine. Whoa. Uh, Bentley, Mercedes, Mini, where's she gone? <laughs> we love television, uh, the best television, Coronation Street. Mm. Moving swiftly on, oh, no, that's a mistake. Doctor Who, Michael McIntyre. Where did Michael McIntyre get on there from? Um, films. We like big films with special effects and, and, and amazing, amazing things that, that you could only imagine. Perhaps you've got a telescope and looked at the real thing. Um, but, but those big things, explosions, we want to be impressed. Um, Star Wars Episode Four is not really where it's at anymore, is it? Um, no, we want X-Men, whatever, and Harry Potter and Kung Fu Panda 2. And Jane Eyre. And sport. Um, I'm trying to think of any. Um, tennis. Um, cricket. All the best, yes. And, and the Olympics uh, next year. Uh, the best thing. The best of the best. We, we love. We have this appreciation of the best. And, and education. Uh, Oxford. Cambridge. York. Um, GCSEs. How many have you got? You've got grade A's, A-stars, um, A-levels, and, and BSCs and MAs and PhDs, and, 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 and we just love excellence everywhere we go. Uh, relationships, we want the best relationships. Uh, we want a family with 2.7 children. Um, we want the best sex, the best marriage, the, the best-looking children, best-looking grandchildren. Um, now, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So we're not knocking good things. What we are knocking is a thirst for things that displaces God. Maybe we don't thirst enough for God because we thirst after these good things too much. These things are enjoyable, but they are not the ultimate thing. God is the <laughs> ultimate thing. And so these things will always leave us feeling empty. Augustine of Hippo, I have a vision of him riding on a, <laughs> uh, in the 4th century, said famously, God... You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We are thirsty, and however much we try and fill, fill our thirst with good things, we will always be unsatisfied. And many people just go to their graves unsatisfied because they've pursued everything, they've had everything, they've done 50 things, and then they died. <laughs> uh, the secret there is not to start, isn't it? <laughs> if you think about it. Make the list and don't do any of them. It's a safe policy. 
Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount says, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They grow how they grow. (laughs) They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we watch? What shall we drive? What shall we wear? Where shall we go on holiday? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. To run after these things and to not seek God is to be like the pagans. It's to be under God's wrath, actually, as in Romans chapter 1. In Jeremiah chapter 2, God speaks to his people. He says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Isaiah 55, God says again, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, earnestly. And eat what is good. And delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. David is basking in this steadfast, sure love. He's thirsting for it. Nothing else will do. He's obsessed with God. He knows he can only be satisfied with God. 
He's so sure of God's goodness to him. And he's so sure of his purpose in glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Get to Jesus, said John Hosier. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, that's midday, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? (laughs) He gave us the well and drank from it himself. See the blue plaque. As did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. I have to come here to draw the water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman said, I I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband. For you have five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. This woman was seeking satisfaction. She was seeking it in companionship, perhaps, or in sex, or in in family, or something. She'd, She'd had five husbands, and the man she was with now was not her husband. She was thirsty. And Jesus put his finger on the points. It has a happy ending. You can read it later in John chapter 4. But I think Jesus would put his finger on us today and say, this is the thing you're thirsty for, isn't it? This is why you don't get up in the morning earnestly to seek me. This is why you don't think of me in your bed. It's because of these issues. And we're all going to be different. We all have different challenges. Uh, it might be uh, somebody might have an issue with pornography. They might have an issue with drink or, or with drugs or, 
or just uh, they just like buying things. It's an obsession. Uh, or they love their holidays. They live for their holidays. Now remember, I said none of these things in themselves are necessarily wrong. Perhaps the drugs. Um, and the pornography. And the... Rewind that. Some of these things. <laughs> when Paul says these things are okay if they're received with thankfulness, there's some of the things you cannot receive with thankfulness because you couldn't stand before God. But there are other things that are good that still we run after. And Jesus is calling this woman to repentance and faith. He's saying, put down what you've got and pick up what I'm offering. He's so gracious. He actually went out of his way to meet this woman. That's what John says. He had to be there. And she's a mess. She has to go there at midday because that's the only time she can avoid everyone else. Um, At the end of the story, she brings back the whole town to meet Jesus. But he's saying to her, Put down that thing that you delight in more than me. Trust me. I am promising you living water. If you continue to drink the water I give you, you will never be thirsty again. And that's where repentance and faith meet. Jesus promises you living water that will be like a well of water springing up within you to eternal life. And he's saying, put down that other thing. Turn from it and run to me and ask me for living water. Just a couple of chapters on, Jesus is in a big discussion uh, with religious people. And he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then in the following chapter, chapter 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, who those who believed in had not yet received, for the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus is saying, come to me and eat and drink and you will be satisfied Don't try and slake your thirst with anything else. It will never do. And it will delay you from coming and it will prevent you from coming to me. What do you do if you don't feel thirsty for Jesus? Well, I think the first thing you can do is you can read about him and you can listen to what he says. Um, Read the Gospels. See how he interacts with people. We're going to be doing that in our next sermon series, actually, seeing how Jesus interacts with people. And how they are changed. But there is an important place to look. 
If Jesus doesn't mean enough to you, there's a very important place to go. Uh, John chapter 19. They took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Jesus, knowing that it was all now finished, said to fulfill the scripture... I thirst. Can you not look at the cross and see the most glorious? sights ever that the king of kings the lord of lords should allow that to be done to him and that he should be thirsty so that you never need to be he's thirsty so that you never need to go anywhere else for satisfaction he's thirsty so that you don't need to fill your life with boyfriends, TV, cars, holidays, as a way of escaping that big ache in you. Yes, you can enjoy some of these things to God's glory, but so often you're using it as a way of escape. And you delight in good things, but the best thing is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul in uh, Philippians 3 and 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. And he says, Whatever things are, he says, Whatever things are, and he picked up a Bible that was very hard to to turn to because it seems so well thumbed, that you talk amongst yourself. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Did he mean get Prada? Did he mean get a Merc? Did he mean go uh, on a world tour? Did he mean have a Big Mac? A nice bottle of Welsh water. They're all good things. What is the most glorious thing? What is Paul's point in chapter 3 and chapter 4? Is rejoice in the Lord. When we rejoice in the Lord, it will be like 
rivers of water welling up within us, flowing out, those doors will burst open. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Look at what God has done. Meditate on it day and night and worship him. John tells us very helpfully that this living water that Jesus spoke of was the Holy Spirit. That at that time they had not received because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But Jesus has been glorified now. He has been crucified, he has been raised, and he has ascended. Our Lord Jesus is certainly glorified. And there's a very special day, the day of Pentecost, where for the first time this outpouring of the Spirit occurs. (laughs) The beginning of an age when, when sons and daughters everywhere will prophesy. Where... Young and old men will have dreams and visions. And it's going to spread through the whole world. It's here in Wrexham. It's still happening. How do we get a bigger experience of God? How are we going to have one of these experiences that will ruin us? We'll never be the same. We'll go back to the broken cisterns and say, no, I can't drink that stuff again. It doesn't satisfy me, but I have someone who does satisfy me. I have Jesus. I rejoice in the Lord. We all know the Lord's Prayer. Luke chapter 11. Later in Luke chapter 11, I tell you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Earnestly I seek you. Early I seek you. Ask, seek, knock, it'll be open. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him I wonder if the musicians could come up please there must be more there is always more There is always more. William Cooper, one of the greatest poets in English, (laughs) uh, wrote, he was a bit of a a downer sometimes, always a bit of a depressive, but he says, Oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame, a light to shine along the road that leads me to the Lamb. Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? What peaceful hours I once enjoyed. How sweet their memories still. But they've left an aching void the world can never fill. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee 
So shall my walk be close with God, calm and serene my frame. So purer light shall mark the road that leads me to the Lamb. I want us to stand, I want us to worship God. Uh, and I think if you, if you want to come forward to, for prayer, if you want, uh, Jesus says, if you want to receive, you ask. So if you want to receive of the Spirit, ask now. You can do it where you are, but you can also come here and we can pray with you. Uh, we have a loving Heavenly Father who knows how to give good gifts, much better than we do. And the greatest gift is himself. God giving him himself. God, you are my God. So Father, help us to, to, to be persistent in seeking you and help us to worship you. And may your worship flood out of these doors. Uh, fill us again. Fill us anew.